This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Holy Gospel is written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, Luther was no saint in the usual sense of flawless holiness. He could be crude and harsh in his judgments. He had an inexcusable anti-Semitic streak. He was quite ordinary as a person with faults and sinful shortcomings that he himself confessed. Yet he was, by God's grace, an extraordinary influence on the church and the world, an extraordinary, ordinary saint. In fact, the Reformation emphasis on grace alone revolutionized the prevailing understanding of sainthood. At the time of the Reformation, the official sainthood was still reserved in the Church of Rome for those who were outstanding in holiness and had great achievements or miracles. It's still that way. In Luther's day, saintly living was acknowledged as only for those who had special graces to be able to keep the strictest of Jesus' commands, such as those we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, the Beatitudes begin the Sermon on the Mount. And in that line of thinking, only the specially gifted could be expected to follow these words of Jesus. For the rest, well, the expectations were more manageable. Luther argued vigorously against this distinction between saintliness and ordinary. Furthermore, he said, you know, Jesus' instructions is for everybody, not just those who have taken vows of chastity and poverty and obedience. 
Furthermore, he and those who stood with him said, in effect, we are all saints because we are all made holy by the grace of God in Christ. And that is our destiny. And along the way, we have the gifts of the Spirit for growth in faith toward God and love toward one another. Well, in the light of that marvelous assurance, what can we say of the Beatitudes for our lives today? Robert Gulick, a New Testament scholar, has suggested that a good translation for the Greek word for blessed would be congratulations. Congratulations. It conveys the idea that what Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, was a word of grace that empowers. Congratulations, you can be a peacemaker. Congratulations, you can be merciful, and so on. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He does not say you must become so. He says you are. Now be what you are. So it is with the Beatitudes, which describe the virtues of love Jesus commanded. They are virtues we see in Jesus himself. And while Jesus' perfection of virtue is not within our grasp, God lavishes ordinary grace, extraordinary grace on ordinary saints who in their own often simple ways are quite extraordinary. Now, my dad was good at many things, but not as a handyman. We had a lot of jokes about his various do-it-yourself debacles. One thing stands out. The house needed new gutters, and Dad did not have the money to hire one, anyone to do it, so there he was on the ladder, against all odds, trying to hang the gutters. And try as he may, he could not get the end of the gutter to, to line up with a simple downspout elbow, a simple elbow to the downspout. He had to use more than one elbow to make the connection. Okay. Well, as luck would have it, some neighbors who fancied themselves as handy stopped by to inspect the job. Our backdoor neighbor, Tom Durkin, looked up at the contraption and pronounced, I'll bet the water will be glad to get the bleep out of there. (laughs) Well, we all laughed, including Dad, who was the sort who could enjoy a laugh at his own expense. What was not seen in that inspection was that there was love in that crazy connection the love of a faithful husband and father doing his best against the odds to do what was needed to protect the family house. And just as he worked hard to make the connection to the downspout any way he possibly could, so he worked hard to keep the family connected in times of tension. He was the assurance of peace among us all. His love for us held all things together, even when the family situation was just as out of whack as the elbows to the downspout. The blessing of the peacemaker was his, an extraordinary, ordinary saint. I cannot forget a young nurse I met years ago in India 
I was giving some workshops at the Christian Counseling Center in Valor, South India. This young nurse was one of those who had come for the conference. She was serving in a rural hospital in north of India, north of India, and it was really more like a hospice because they had few resources to keep people alive. Well, she came to my room one day and asked if I would hear her confession. What was troubling her conscience was the fact that she could not get over resentments she felt toward a teacher who had hurt her feelings years ago when she was a little girl. Well, here she was, a dedicated young nun who spent her time giving what care she could to the dying day after day after day. And she was confessing something that most of us would probably not even consider a sin. She was so self-forgetful, she had no idea of what a good and beautiful person she was. Of course I assured her of God's forgiveness, and then I silently prayed that I could be more like her. The blessing of humility that is poverty of spirit was hers, an extraordinary, ordinary saint. Well, I am sure that all of us here know some extraordinary, ordinary saints, those we name today and many others who we also remember, and of course, saints that are still with us, whose gifts in our lives are extraordinary. We could all add each of us to these stories. Blessed are the meek does not sound like a pretty good deal in a competitive world where power is even more precious than riches. Yet the blessing of meekness is not weakness. It is the power of love to reach out to all people. Now all of us have times when we feel uneasy or even fearful when the love commandment draws us out of our comfort zone. Perhaps it's being with those who are different. Or perhaps it's being with the sick and the dying. Or being in situations of conflict and tension. Urges of self-protection fight to fight the call to reach out in love. But Jesus is there with the blessing of meekness, the strength of knowing you belong to God with no need for aggressive self-assertion. And with that comes the courage, however faltering, to be where you need to be and to do what you need to do. Ordinary saints can do extraordinary things. The strength of meekness enables them to get beyond themselves. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The meaning of mourning includes but goes beyond sorrow for lost loved ones. The touch of sadness we feel today as we remember those who who are departed is met by the comfort of the promised life of the new creation. For those blessed with the spirit of mourning, feelings of pain at the time of loss due to a loved one 
extend also to human suffering of all sorts. We mourn the loss of life due to senseless killings. We are moved to generosity and prayer in support of those devastated by storm and fire, those who are hungry and those who are homeless. The blessing on those who mourn is the blessing of solidarity with the suffering. Solidarity with the suffering is the way of Jesus. Now, Jesus was like us in many ways. He wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. But he went way beyond normal grief. He shared all our sorrows, shouldered all our griefs. He was God with us in every way, all the way to the cross. Well, we all want to be happy. We'd rather be relaxing in front of the TV than sitting by a bedside, a hospital bed, perhaps. We'd rather be able to feel content with the world instead of agonizing over the constant events of tragedy and cruelty and then needing constantly to pray ardently for relief from life's brutality. We'd rather believe there is no racism, but solidarity with suffering means that we have to own the truth of it and witness against it. We'd rather be happy and oblivious to the woes of others. That is a very ordinary desire. However, Jesus will not let us go. He calls us to solidarity with those who are hurting in whatever ways we can possibly help. He wants us to be extraordinary in our caring. And the comfort he promises is the comfort of strength for the life of solidarity with suffering, a comfort born of his extraordinary grace. Blessed are the merciful. Reading throughout the Bible, we see God's mercy spoken of in so many ways. In the end, it comes down to the fact that God is long-suffering, God is steadfast in love, and God is forgiving. We are also called, then, to be long-suffering and forgiving. And so we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Peter once asked Jesus, how often must I forgive a sister or brother? As many as seven times? Jesus says, no, no, seven times 70. Now, there's no need to do the math because these are symbolic numbers that mean there is no limit to forgiveness. And forgiveness with God is unconditional. We remember the parable of the prodigal son whose father accepted him with open arms despite all that he had done. Forgiveness creates a new state of affairs. It transforms alienation and estrangement into reconciliation and reunion. My son, this my son was dead and is alive again. My son was lost and is found, cried the joyous father. Be merciful as your father is merciful, Jesus commands. For us ordinary folks, unconditional and unending forgiveness of those who have hurt us is a stretch. It's even hard at times in the family 
to forgive those, let alone the actions of those outside who want to hurt us or simply don't like us. In the absence of forgiveness, however, the unforgiven remain separated in their guilt, and the unforgiving live with festering hurt. Ordinary saints, however, blessed with mercy, with a heart ready to forgive, can reflect God's extraordinary mercy, however hard it may be sometimes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, righteousness here is a twofold meaning. In the first place, it means being right with God, the new relationship with God that is ours by grace through Christ. To hunger and thirst for righteousness of this, in this sense is to place one's hope and entire life in the hands of God, trusting, trusting in the promise of salvation in Christ and seeking the gifts of the Spirit for growth in faith and love. In such trust, we also seek the second meaning of righteousness, justice, justice born of love for neighbor. Now, in many lands today, faith in the gospel has been a cause for persecution and martyrdom. There have been more Christian martyrs in the last century than in all previous centuries combined. These are ordinary saints who showed extraordinary courage. In our own setting, the courage of faith required by ordinary saints may be as simple and yet as difficult as resisting the overwhelming influence of secular culture and the demand to go along with its values alluring values that are often antithetical to the Christian life. Seeking justice, the second meaning of righteousness, requires all the grace God can provide in a confusing and troubled world. Sadly, seeking the righteousness of justice in the church has often been a source of persecution. The Reformers certainly felt the lash of persecution, the theological reforms they thought sought also entailed reforms in both state and church. They were extraordinary, ordinary saints. In our own time, the quest for justice in the church continues. Too often the churches reflect the prejudices of society in their own practices. And those who resist such discrimination can find themselves rejected. Yet victims of prejudice in the church and their advocates have found the courage time and time again to speak for righteousness and weather the storms of censure for the sake of the gospel, extraordinary, ordinary saints. So congratulations. You are all blessed with the capacity to be more than maybe you thought you could be an extraordinary, ordinary saint. Oh, yes, and, and by the way, about the elbows to the downspout, two weeks later, the rains came, and they beat down upon the roof, and the water surged into the gutters, and it swirled around and around. 
the elbows on the downspout held fast. As if to say for the family, we will stay connected no matter what. All the house slept quietly, and the water poured harmlessly into the street. Blessed are the peacemakers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.